Weren't those songs beautiful? This morning that was worship music. Thank you so much, Steve, for all the work you've done to put those things together. This morning I would uh, like to talk to you about a trip that each one of you are going to be taking. I have a grandson, and uh, I like to talk to him if he's going to be taking a trip, and he he prepares for trips he's not even going to take yet. You want to know the amenities on a flight from the United States to Australia? He can tell you the best plane and all the amenities to it. And then if he goes someplace, he can share all the details about the place he's going. And you know, <clears throat> I'm at that, I've been that way in my life. I, if I'm going to go someplace, I want to know as much as I can about it before I get there, don't you? I want to know what the weather's like. I want to know uh, the things to do or not do. <clears throat> And all those things. And so this morning, I'm going to kind of share some meditations that I've been having about a trip I'm going to take. And that is a trip to the throne of God. Now, I just want everyone here to know that each person here today will someday stand before the throne of God. You're going to be taking that trip. And it's interesting to look at what the Bible says about that trip. Now, when you think the throne of God, uh, the throne is glorious because of the one who occupies it. Uh, The throne is a symbol, a position of God's sovereign reign. And, you know, the throne of God cannot be understood, and you're going to see that this morning from the Scriptures, unless the Spirit of God teaches us and directs us. Now, uh, the Old Testament patriarchs had a little to say about it. You know, Adam and Eve didn't have to hear about the throne of God because God walked and talked with them. They knew he was sovereign. And uh, Noah, when he got through with his boat ride, he was sure God was sovereign and God was in control. The psalm I read this morning from David, listen to how David described the throne of God. Psalm 9, verse 7 and 8. The Lord sets enthroned forever. He, is, he has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. You know, one of the things that each of us have got to remember that someday... Every person's going to stand before God. And I tell you, 
all things will be made right. Sin, all sins will be judged by an all-knowing, righteous, holy God. Psalm 45 and verse 6 says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your scepter The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter scepter of uprighteousness. Psalm 93, 2 says, Your throne is established from old, and you're from everlasting. Psalm 97, 2 says, Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So we, the Old Testament saints had an incredible grasp and understanding of the rule of God, not only in the past, but for the future. Uh, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 12, the testimony of Paul a fascinating testimony. He says there in verse 2, he said, I knew a man about 14 years ago, whether he was dead or alive, I don't know. God knows that. Now, what was that? Paul was stoned and left for dead outside the city of Lystra. And he said, I don't know if I was dead or alive, but he said, I got caught up to the third heaven I saw paradise, I saw the throne room of God, and then what did Paul say? I can't talk about it. (laughs) I can't tell you what I saw, which is a fascinating statement, isn't it? But if you want to get into some real descriptions about the throne of God, you go to the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Ezekiel, and then we'll go to the New Testament and we'll see the throne of God and we'll get a good look at it uh, this morning. In Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to look there with me, now, when I say Isaiah, uh, what are you thinking? I hope you're thinking, well, that is one of the prophets. And it's true. He was one of the early prophets to Israel. And Isaiah began his ministry after the kingdom divided. Uh, You remember the history of Israel? God called Abraham, said he was going to make him a, a powerful nation. And he and Sarah couldn't have any kids. And finally God gave them one. Then we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob wound up with 12 sons when he and his family, because of the drought conditions in Israel, went in to Egypt. God put them in Egypt so Israel could become a nation. They went in as a family of 75, and they came out as a nation of 3 to 5 million people. Slaves, under the leadership of Moses, they're going to become a holy nation. 
and God gives them the worship, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle. After 40 years of living under the tutelage of God, they go into the promised land, and under Joshua they conquer the promised land. Then we go through 300 years of the judges, and Israel says, we need a king. So God gave Saul, then David, then Solomon. By Solomon's reign, Israel was one of the most wealthy nations in the world. It was an incredible uh, testimony of the grace and goodness of God, how a group of slaves could become, and all of a sudden, they're a great nation worldwide. Then, after Solomon died, the kingdom divided. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. By 722, the Assyrians had taken captive the northern kingdom. Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom, and his heart is filled with great grief that a part of Israel has been captured, and uh, he shares in his book the hope of God for Israel. Then he acknowledged their ritualism. They were just going through their religious thing just to do their religious deed. You know, there are people in our country today who have churchanity, but they don't have Christianity. Christianity is a living relationship with God. Then God told Isaiah about the Babylonian captivity, that the southern kingdom was going to be captured as well. 586, that happened. They were taken into captivity. Isaiah talks about the coming of Christ. Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin would conceive, the day of the Lord. So the book is filled with a lot of hope and a lot of greatness. But look in Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah, you have to remember, he, he has... But he is very familiar with the past glories of the nation of Israel, and he can see that Israel is on a downhill run. And look at verse 1 of Isaiah 6. And the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord setting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of the robe filled the temple. Now, whether Isaiah was sitting there by the temple that Solomon had built or whatever, uh, God is showing him something that is very incredible. He's going to show him the throne of God. And above him, verse 2, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings Two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one said to the other. Now, listen to this, because this is going to come back again in the Scriptures. Here are these seraphim, 
They had a message. Listen to the message. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. The earth is filled with his glory. And then uh, he talks about the smoke and uh, it was a majestic scene, the burning coal that he touched Isaiah's mouth with and told him he needed to go preach. And this is an incredible introduction for a man, the prophet Isaiah, whom God was going to use to give a warning to Israel, who was going to predict Israel's demise, and then he was going to offer some consolation. Then we get to another prophet, a few years later, his name's Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel, you'll remember, uh, he prophesied in, uh, to Israel, and the book of Ezekiel, we say, well, that's a book of prophecy, and it is. But in the first chapter, we have an in interesting thing here. Now, remember, the first captivity of Israel, when the Babylonians came in 586, they took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took all the young men, put them in their army. They uh, put them to work. And Israel didn't straighten up. So then the Babylonians came back to Jerusalem, leveled the temple, take anybody who had any life left in them. Let me translate that another way. If you can make the trip to Babylon, you're going. So the only people left in Jerusalem were the maimed and the sick and the elderly. And Jeremiah was left to minister to them. But Ezekiel is taken in the second captivity and he is put in a refugee camp around the city of Babylon by the canal or the river Chabar. And now imagine you're a mouthpiece of God for Israel, this great nation. The northern kingdom's been taken over by the Assyrians, and now the southern kingdom are in total captivity of the Babylonians. But God sent hope to Israel. God saw his glory and desire for Israel be thwarted by sinfulness. But God was going to fulfill his promises to Israel. And in Ezekiel, he, he brings condemnation and retribution for sin and cons uh, consolation and restoration. And in verse 4 here, God is going to strengthen the prophet Ezekiel for the ministry that he had there in Babylon. Look at verse 4. And as I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it, fire and flashing forth continually in the midst of the fire as it were gleaming metal. 
And from the midst, it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was the appearance as they had a human likeness. Each had four faces. Each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight. The soles of their feet were soles like calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished, burnished bronze. Their wings on the four sides of their body. And they, they had uh, four faces and their wings. And they touched each other. And, and you can read on about what Ezekiel sees here as it goes through this whole first chapter. And by the way, uh, when we're looking at these things, Ezekiel, under the leadership of the Spirit of God, had to describe what he saw in a heaven. And he's an earthly man, and he's describing angels that are higher than him, and he's looking at the most sovereign magistrate of the universe and, and he's trying to describe just what's around the throne. And uh, these are four-winged angels. He's, uh, Isaiah had six-winged angels. When we get to the book of Revelation, there are going to be some more six-winged angels there. And, and then we see, uh, under the wings, human hands, and then... These spirits darted to and fro like bright lightning, wheels to and fro on the earth, a crystal overhead, a rainbow, the brightness like glass, an incredible scene. And look at verse 28 of Ezekiel 1. He says, the second half of verse 28 such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, of the Lord. And when I saw it, he said, I fell on my face. I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel saw the events of chapter 1 that he records, and he just falls on his face as he heard the voice of the one speaking. Uh, by the way, if you want to look at chapter 1, somebody what, saying, what are UFOs? I'll tell you what, you read Ezekiel and the, the angelic activity there, and... Uh, you get some very vivid descriptions of things that a lot of people talk about today. Now we got to move on. Revelation chapter 4. Let's turn there because that's the last mention of the throne of God in the Old Testament like this, that kind of description in Revelation 4 we see the angel telling John, come on up. And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet 
So this is voice now is like a trumpet. He says, come up here and I'll show you what must take pla uh, uh, place after this. At once I was in the spirit. Behold, the throne stood in heaven and the one seated on the throne. I might just remind you as we're going through this from the fourth chapter through the end of the book deals with prophetic material. One day, the book of Revelation will become the most popular book in the Bible to Jewish people. They'll look at it and they'll say, man, we got to read this. We got to find out what's going to happen next. And it's true. And here, John gets a view uh, of the throne and uh, he says, before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, uh, like crystal. All around the throne, on each side of the th throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The living creatures were like a lion, uh, an ox, a man, and an eagle fly. Similar descriptions we found in the Old Testament. Then we see the 24 elders casting their crowns before the one on the throne, the Lord Jesus, and they're worshiping him. Not only does John say there were four creatures, he says there are myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands, are multiplied by thousands. And we see a scene around the throne of God with an innumerable, innumerable bunch of angels. And then uh, as we summarize what we have seen here in uh, Revelation and in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, we see the seraphim, and maybe there are cherubim, I'm sure there are cherubim there, but we, uh, Isaiah pointed out the seraphim, the principalities and powers, there are ranks of angels, and we see the four living creatures with four faces and human likeness, a lion, an ox, a man, an eagle, and they're all around the throne for Isaiah, for Ezekiel, for John, in Isaiah, we see a six-winged uh, uh, being. And in um, Ezekiel, a four. Listen to the message of the angels. In Isaiah, you remember they said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory. Here's what they said in, the God, in Revelation. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Powerful thunder, voices, a trumpet voice, flashing lights, seven torches with much fire, sparkling bright, brightness like jasper, cornelian, emeralds, crystal, like a sea of glass, 
a rainbow of colors and a myriad of angels are around the throne. Now let's, there are two more references to the throne in Revelation. One is found in Revelation 20. Turn there, please. Just keep walking. We're going to finish the whole book today. In Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11, we see, I saw a great white throne, John says, and him who is seated on it, the sovereign of eternity, the Lord Jesus. From his presence, the earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Now, this is different. Here, the one on the throne and everything leaves. Why? John, uh, John says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. This is the final judgment for all unsaved people who've ever lived on the earth. And before, if you read this whole thing, you'll find he's judging Satan, uh, Satan's minions, all the demons of the world. They'll be judged for their sin. And every human being from Cain all the way through will be judged for their sins. And notice what it says. <clears throat> the first thing, the, these people are all standing before the thr great white throne judgment of God, and the books were opened. And the books were opened. Now I want you to remember God is alive. Every human being who's ever been born on this earth will one day stand before that God. And he is not going to forget one sin because they're in the books. Every foul word, every dastardly deed, all sin will be judged by Christ himself. And these people will be judged according to their works. And then look at that 12th verse, the last part of it. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. God wants people to trust him. He wants people to trust his son, the Lord Jesus, who was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, who is God, a very God who took upon himself the form of a human being so he could show man, uh, man what God was like. And those names remain in the book of life. The scriptures teach if you don't trust Christ, your name is blotted out of the book of life. You say, when does God does that? When he wants to, before you die. But God's desire is for people to trust him. Then we hurry on over 
to that 21st chapter. The judgment has come. The heavens and the earth have fled away. And, and why did they do that? Because the earth is contaminated by sin and the, uh, the planets have been contaminated by sin as well. And verse 1 of chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven out uh, from God, prepared as a bride for a husband. And then listen to verse 3. I just get excited over this verse. I heard a loud voice uh, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be their God. One of the exciting things about this verse is uh, stated very well by A.W. Tozer. You know, sometimes you think, man, there'll be so many people in heaven, there'll be such a long line, I'll never get to see God. But remember, we're dealing with God who is everywhere, omniscient, omnipresent. A.W. Tozer says this, an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no other. Let me give you a quick summary of that. We get to heaven, and it'll be Jesus and me. Each one of us will have a full an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine that? And we will walk with him and we will talk with him. And quickly looking at the 22nd chapter, in verse 1 there, he says, And the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God. This throne that's come down into the new Jerusalem, there'll be a river coming out of it, and the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and on each side of the river there'll be a tree of life, 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And then no longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. What, a, what an, you just have to set and dream on this and think on this. And then look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify about these things for the church. I am the root and the descendant of Jesse and the bright and morning star. What a survey of the Old Testament. What a survey of who Christ is. And then look at the 20th verse. And he testified, testifies to these things, saying, Surely I am coming soon. Amen.
Come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Very soon, each person in this room will get to see the Lord Jesus face to face. Isn't that exciting? It has no meaning if you do not believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Today, the most important issue in, your, in this world is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him to forgive you your sins and give you eternal life? Are you preparing for your trip? One day, very soon, we will be in his presence and only our relationship with Christ is going to matter at all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these privileges, for these opportunities just to quickly look in your word about your holy throne, about uh, the hope that you have given to those who put their trust in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you're a loving God, a good God, and an eternal God. And Lord, help us to live in the light of the reality of very soon we too will be before your presence, before your throne. So we pray you would just work in our lives today and help us to prepare our hearts as we prepare to meet you, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen.